incredible to me. It is now uh, 45 years. 45 years since I first took a series of meetings in an, in an Anglican church. And some people from St. Paul's Cray came to those meetings and it's out of those meetings that, was ha that were held every two months called the bi-monthly meetings that Elton began. Uh, a fellowship in Bromley began all started in meetings and there was a man who used to arrange them in those days named Peter Palmer and his wife Joy and he was, uh, he was living I think in Crystal Palace and he arranged them and that's how it all began to those meetings. Terry Watson came and I can remember preaching and that's a long while ago, 45 years ago. Interesting, isn't it? I don't know, there was probably two or three hundred people used to come to those meetings. Anyway, I've been told that I must speak on the Holy Spirit, so um, this was my instruction. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you into the Holy of Holies of the Scriptures, the words of Jesus concerning the Holy Spirit. Uh, and they are found in three chapters in the Gospel of John. 14, 15 and 16. And I'm going to be very simple um, <clears throat> it is an incredible thing to me just how confused many, many are as to the ministry of the Spirit, as to the relationship of things that are in the Old Testament and things that are in the New Testament. So much so that this confusion uh, leads to real significant problems in people's lives. Uh, They're the always trying to get, to obtain, to experience. As Simon and I were talking uh, just at lunchtime or after lunch for maybe half an hour and we were discussing one or two things uh, and in the course of it we got to talking about uh, music in the churches uh, which is, if any of you know, a, a, an area of con incredible controversy and difficulty. And of course, we, I mean, just last year, we spent 32 weeks of last year overseas in many countries, in many churches. I can only say this to you, and it's, uh, I'm sad to say it, 
Probably we did series of meetings in 50 different churches last year of every flavour in different countries. In 45 of those churches, the first 15 minutes of the meeting were complete boredom. There was nothing of the Holy Spirit there. Nothing at all. There was performance, in some cases, sheer pride. In some cases, sincerity. Genuine effort. Genuine effort. But uh, as for that which really was the Holy Spirit, dry. You will probably realize that the, one of the greatest problems of the churches is that they become worldly. They become worldly. They copy the world. They seek to be attractive to the world. Um, that's very very laudable you could say but it's wrong um, now you know that Jesus separated people when he called them and are you prepared to be separated under God am I prepared to be separated his call is to separation that's the first thing. His call is, come, follow me. Simple as that. Follow me. Are you prepared to be separated from the casual, carnal, self-absorbed world in which you live? Am I prepared to be separated unto God first? Not to church first. Not to ministry first. Not even to my own holiness first. Not to my own self-satisfaction. You know, because I want to be pure first. Separated unto God. Priorities wrong. Everything will go wrong. Foundations with a crack in them. And sooner or later the building will fall. Incredible. And uh, there is much that... Uh, needs to be said about those things but separation priorities separated unto God first not his church not his gospel not uh, uh, having an effective church separated unto God come unto me Jesus said 
utterly person, utterly personal, person to person. Amen. And you know how the Lord Jesus, in order to begin what was going to become his church, he has to separate 12 men. And those men, uh, their backgrounds were varied. Some of them were intellectual. One, some of them were fishermen by background. Uh, some of them perhaps were a little cunning, like uh, Matthew with an eye to the quick buck. Um, you understand, but this did not matter. Jesus came to them, some of them by their boats, some of them in the midst of their careers, some of them at the tax table, you remember? And he separated them and he said to them, come, follow me and I will make you. And these things are so basic and simple, but these were going to become the foundation stones of his church. No church will thrive that doesn't have a hard core of those who are separated unto God first. No church. They must have a hard core, a basic foundational group who of male and female, in the case of the Jews, of course, the Lord called these men. Remember that most of those men were in their 20s. It is likely that at least one of them was possibly as old as 50. Maybe one or two of them were in their 40s, but the bulk of them were in their 20s. Interesting to think of that. And Jesus himself commanded them when he was 30 years old. So he himself was young and yet old and he, he separated them. Now they were men, men with a background. That is, they were Jews by background. And uh, you all remember that in the Old Testament, uh, God separated a man named Abraham and of that man named Abraham, he brought forth how many tribes? Twelve. Interesting. So Jesus is moving with exactitude to choose twelve men. Now I'm going to bring in my church. I'm going to, I'm going to do it. And you remember how the Lord Jesus uh, gathers them around him and he, he is an enigma to them because they're carnal. They're not men of the Spirit. They're not men that understand God's ways yet. And so Jesus to them is a... He's dear, he's, to use a much misused word today, 
He's awesome to them. Uh, that's a, one of those words, you know. You be careful and understand what's going on in our world. Nowadays, you're just a human. You're no longer a man or a woman. And all that that means, a person used a human. A few millennia ago, you were just a chimpanzee. You're just a development of a species. That's what's working. So this legitimizes you behaving like a chimpanzee or a dog when it comes to sex or relationships. And so gradually and systematically, we're justified to be bestial. <laughs> because we're just human, we're just developing, and we're developing. And go in the end, we'll become gods. You see, we don't think enough about these basic things, so that even words are removed. You're not a person. Now you can choose your own sexuality. How do you feel? How do you feel? And we'll teach it in the schools. And thus the blind lead the blind. The blind in the Senate. Influenced by the blind in the universities. The professors. Who are all working toward an agenda that is working by a hidden spirit because men have given themselves to the river of another spirit and they know it not. That's what's happening and it's happening in Westminster to some. And if you happen to know a Christian politician, pray for him or her because it's virtually impossible to be in politics and have a clear testimony for Jesus. And these are strong words, but they need to be said because we must understand there is another river flowing and people are being separated unto it and they're separating themselves unto it because it, doesn't me it means that they don't have to shape up and be clean and pure. They can be animal. They can just give room to their pride. There is another river, invisible, that works like a sixth sense in the hearts of men. And there are some of them that are being taught by that spirit. And they're hearing its voice. And it's leading them into all manner of corruption. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, about spirit, against spirits of wickedness in high places. And what, how are we going to cope with that unless we are living in day-to-day -day fellowship with the spirit of our God? How are we going to see? How are we going to know? How are we going to understand? How are we going to cope? 
And of course, the Lord is working with his disciples and he calls them and they receive from him, he gives them power to do certain wonders and to preach, which they do and that power comes from him because he's king on the earth and he's able to devolve some authority to them. But uh, they don't receive the Spirit. All the time, that, all the days that Jesus was on earth, they never received the Spirit. But they received some of the king's authority to do some of the king's works. Uh, and then, uh, of course, you will all know that this enigma that Jesus is, um, he, he does less and less of the supernatural and the miraculous the further on his three-year ministry goes on. And he, he is a, what's he doing? And these men come into this period toward, uh, in the last three, four, five, six months of Jesus' ministry, where that horrible, creeping sense of foreboding begins to come. What's happening? Because Jesus begins to talk to them about going away, about dying. And uh, they try and shove it off. Um, it, it all begins, you may not know this, but Jesus actually doesn't talk about dying and going to the cross until six months before he does. So he, he ministered for about three and a half years and they were with him for three and a half years, but for three of those years, he, he doesn't mention it. And then, if you want to know when he first mentioned the cross, it's the first time he mentioned the church. It's Matthew 16. That's the first time he mentions, I will build my church. Uh, Mark asked me a question in the men's gathering last night about how to have a little bit of help in being quiet before God on your own. Here's another, I said to him as part of an answer, just get quiet into a chair that is your God chair. Begin with a place, a place where you don't pick up your laptop put it on your lap. A place which is your God chair, your prayer chair, your waiting in God's presence chair. Amen. A, a place where your kids can't come. They know I in my church, both in Perth and when we, I was pastoring there and pastoring in Exeter all those years ago, there were times when I phoned up a household and I said, on a, in a morning, can I talk to your mum? The little kitty had answered the phone. And she said, no. She's having her God time. 
phone back in an hour or something like that. Amen. Priorities. Get your kids in order so they're not interrupting and disturbing. Lead them into habits where they know that God has priority in your life. These things are serious because in every department Jesus is dealing with those apostles to show them something that they only understood later on when the Spirit had come to them. The secret of Jesus' life was his Father. The priority of Jesus' life was not the needs of man. It wasn't the mission. You know, one of the problems with missionary societies, they're obsessed with mission. I'm not getting at, there, there are whole sections of the church that are obsessed with evangelism. Get the job done. That's secondary. First, man shall not live by getting the job done, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Oh, Father, what are you saying to me now? Am I hearing you? Am I in your rhythms? Am I in your time spans? You'd be amazed how worldly we are. Get the job done quickly. <laughs> what an irrelevancy in half of Africa where there are hardly any vehicles and you walk three miles an hour. And what an irrelevancy in half of India where the bullock bandy still is in control. Three miles an hour. Get the job done for fast. God's, the Lord's got to become priority in everything. And Jesus was showing these men, prior, get behind me, Satan. Because Peter had said, speed up, Lord. You can get things sorted. We can avoid this... Uh, pessimistic talk of Calvary? Goodness me. Get behind me, Satan. Your, you, your mind is all off kilter. Serious stuff, isn't it? And, uh, oh, it's wonderful to me, you see, that uh, the Lord, with... Um, <laughs> With such, well, it, it's poise, the poise of, of a loving heart, the, uh, the poise of someone who knows what he's doing. He walks them through. He takes them through this period of foreboding where they, they, they're going to lose him. And, uh, and it, it arrives at this, 
chapter 13 of John's Gospel, where, you know, Jesus, uh, you know, all this business about the feet, you know, and the serving them, washing their feet, because they'd been busy arguing. Talk about a brand of brothers in unity. Don't you believe it? They spent half the time where Jesus was getting on with the real business, they spent half their time arguing on who was going to be the greatest. Their minds were elsewhere. and The Lord Jesus washed their feet. You know, and old Judas, that was the last straw. And that flushed him out. That exposed his pride and his personal agendas. <laughs> yeah, hallelujah. I have a friend who's uh, probably two or three years younger than me. And I want to tell you that that friend was in a church where we were. And uh, God was moving among us and he hated it. And there came a time when I was laying on the floor in prayer with others in a meeting. That's where we wanted to go. And where that friend of mine, one of the members of the church, he emptied the rubbish bin on my head as I laid there. And he called me a false prophet. And he broke some windows. And I was so glad that uh, no brothers stopped him. Let all his rage come out. All his frustration. And uh, hallelujah. He's my friend. When I preach in a certain place, he'll always come with his wife. And he, two days later, he completely repented after that event. He went and got a bowl of water. It was very embarrassing to me and came in with a bowl of water and a towel and said, could he wash my feet? He asked the forgiveness of everybody in the meeting. You say, hallelujah, you see. It's the, it's the conflict that comes. And uh, Judas, he, he went out. And as was prayed earlier, you mustn't think that Jesus wished him out. You understand. God is not wanting that any should perish, but all should come. But anyway, and then of course, Jesus, well, it's going to happen now. I'm going to go. This is the end of chapter 13. I'm going to go. And uh, Peter says, do you remember what Peter says? He said, well, I'll, I'll go with you. I'll die for it. I'll, I'll. No, you won't. No, you won't. Uh, no, you won't. And uh, uh, verse 37, verse 13, chapter 13, Peter said to him, Lord, why cannot I follow you now? Uh, right now I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay your da down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not 
crow until you deny me three times. And as we know, it happened. And then you've got the chapter division. You'll deny me three times. And unfortunately, you've got a chapter division. So, let's read it without the chapter division. A rooster will not cry, crow unless, until you deny me three times. Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I'm going to prepare a place for you, Peter. Don't let your heart be troubled. You're going to deny me. Don't let your heart be troubled. Uh, You've got to discover, Peter, the total inadequacies of the unaided human soul to accomplish anything. You've got to discover it. You've got to discover, Peter, the limits of your own dedication, your own sincerity. You've got to, and and you you know, don't you, that Peter, because he was the main spokesperson, he said it, but they all felt it. So they were all the same. So let's not single out Peter. Let's put ourselves among the crowd because we were there. Because they really loved Jesus and they, but they didn't understand him. They didn't understand uh, their need of the Holy Spirit. That They didn't understand exactly what was happening. They didn't know that all the waters were waiting to burst forth. The waters of blessing, the waters of the new covenant, the waters of newness of life, the waters of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. They didn't realize. Do you remember that uh, people in Noah's day, they didn't understand the waters were waiting? Waters beneath, waters above. They didn't realize that the waters were there. They'd never seen the waters fall. But the waters were waiting waiting for Noah to get into the ark, waiting for God's word to come that released the waters and the flood came, that mighty baptism that judged the old and brought forth the new. Amen, are you getting that picture that Noah and the the creation in the ark was brought through and there was a new beginning the dear apostles uh, didn't understand and we wouldn't have understood in those days that the waters were waiting and they were not waiting this time for simply the word of the flood but they were waiting for the word that's Jesus to make his way to go up to Calvary and for the breach to come by his death and the opening of his side and the flowings of his blood. Amen. The breach so that the waters of what we call the baptism in the Holy Spirit could come. The flood could come. The waters because Jesus had judged sin in the flesh 
and we can be clean and newness of life was released. This is what occurred. You understand? And the waters were wading and they didn't understand the only way for the waters to break is the death, the laying down of the life, the total prioritizing of God's will in the life of his son to the extremity of the death. And there'll be no waters breaking forth in our day and generation. No waters breaking forth unless that sort of prioritizing takes place in us where we are people of the death, of the judgment, of the resurrection, of the spirit. Am I making myself clear? Are you getting this? Uh, because this is so important. And I know it's Saturday night, and I know there's only a few of us hearing. But I've discovered this, that sometimes one little meeting, one of the most significant things I ever listened to, there were eight of us in the meeting. And God spoke, and I saw something. 43 years ago that altered my whole life and I saw her and it becomes key you see and dear, these men you know let not your hearts be troubled I know what I'm doing you believe in God believe also in me in my father's house are many abiding places mentioned I'm going to prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you may be also. Is that what it says there in verse 3 of chapter 14? Familiar verses. Please don't think geography. Because, yes, Transcendental geography is involved. Heaven, the heavenly house, mansions. But Jesus isn't very preoccupied with that. That where I am, there you may be also. Where was Jesus? All the time that he was on the earth, where was he? Where's he living? Where was he living? Now I'm not talking about geography. I'm not talking about the house, Mark's cold. Put his coat on. I'm not talking about the house. I'm not talking about it. foxes have holes. Uh, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I'm not talking about geography. Where was he living? I know a little bit about this because I've been in villages here and Pacific Island leaf huts there and I've been in hotels there and I've been alone for weeks on end with hardly anybody to speak my language when in the evening the man comes along uh, to to take me to the meeting and at last someone speaks my language. Where do I live? 
the Father's heart, that where I am, there you may be also. In the consciousness of the Father's love, where you live in Jesus, I'm living in the bliss of my Father's love. Where are you living, Jesus? I'm living in the bliss and blessedness of my Father's will. I, where are you living, Jesus? I'm living in fellowship of the Spirit who leads me to my Father and holds me there. Where are you living, Jesus, in sweet dependency that my Father supplies my every need? Where are you living? That where I am, there you may be also. That's why I'm going away, so these waters can break forth, so that where I am, so you're not looking then, Jesus, for some fresh move in your life. Absolutely not. I'm living with my Father, growing in the wisdom of him. So you're not waiting for a fresh hit on a Saturday night, no. No, because I'm living in the bliss of my Father. So you're not waiting for a tingle in a charismatic meeting, no. Because I'm living in the fellowship of the Spirit. And I'm hearing my father's heart. I'm living in my father's house. It's his heart. That where I am, there you may be also. Do you want to live there? I mean, my dear mother, always when I talk like this, I think of my dear mother. My mother came home. She was one of those ladies in the Second World War who, uh, who worked uh, at night. She was making the radios for the airplane, aircraft. That was her work. So she would go off to work and she would work someplace here in London, I don't remember where it was. And she came home after work, seven o'clock in the morning and her house wasn't there anymore. And certain members of her family were dead, vomited them. And the characteristic of my mother, where she lived all her life after that, even when I was a child and growing up, she was living in a house of fear. That's where she was living. That's where her mind was. No blame. But I remember I was with my mother for many hours as she was on her deathbed and dying and you know, my, I managed to get my sisters there and we gathered around the bed and Hazel went and my sisters went and I was left and she said, Bernard, don't, don't leave me. I said, of course I won't, Mum. I'll stay with you to the end. And uh, even there, right at the end, fear. She had a little faith, but much fear. That's where she was living. Jesus died and rose again so that we could live where he lives. It's wonderful that where I am, there you may be also. Can you just ponder that? And you know, I encourage you to ponder, you know, coming back to having your private God chair and that kind of thing, and help to, to, to get quiet. Just say, 
Just think slowly. I. This is how I've been for years. I. I think of what Jesus said, those simple words, will build my church. So I just sit there and I think, I. Ah, Jesus, you will. I. Kind of puts me in perspective. Kind of puts you in perspective. I will. And will. Just think about what will. And you begin to enjoy it. The will of God. Build. Hallelujah. And you think about the word build. My. think about my in different ways. Possessive my, loving my, my wife, my bride, <laughs> my building, you know? You begin to think like that and oh, it'll do your soul so much good to reflect upon things slowly like that and to reflect on this one, that where I am, there, Jesus, where are you? What's this secret? Beautiful, isn't it? Beautiful. I want to live where Jesus lived. Yes? Oh, you know that one of the great secrets of God in his being is his spontaneity. God is utterly spontaneous. Someone prayed about the river. <coughs> da 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 da. I had three notes there, musically. Da da da. They're the same notes. Da. Three notes the same and not the same. When a river flows, it's not the same water. So I stand here looking at the river. Yes, you with me? And the water's flowing. And it's all water, but it's not the identical water that was flowing. That's gone. It's proceeding. It's ever fresh. That's that's where Jesus was living, in that sort of spontaneity and reality. And uh, ah, so now Jesus is going to tell them, it's all right, I'm going away. Now let me focus very quickly on what Jesus said about the Spirit when he comes. Here they are, just put your eye down and we'll pick these things out. And I, you, you should kind of make a note of them, I suppose. But he says in verse 16, of, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. And this is the first thing, that he, 
may be with you forever. That's the first thing. That he, that is in contrast to me, who's been here with you for three and a half years and I'm going. <laughs> he will be with you forever. He will be with you. So get the words in your, uh, I must get them in my head as well. And then you go on a little bit further and he says, Jesus says this. Uh, he says a number of things, but uh, in that day, verse 20, he talks about a day when it's going to happen. And you go down a little bit further, and it says, uh, we'll make our abodes with him. And uh, can you see a place where it says, he will be in you? The end of verse 17, can you see that? So he will be with you forever. That's verse 16. Then in verse 17, he says, he will be in you. He abides with you, but he shall be in you. Mm. Now, don't let that simple little thing, uh, that little word, in, don't let it rob you. Isn't it wonderful? There was a time in some of your lives, and you might know the day, when he was with you, but he wasn't yet in you. And then there came a time, and it may have been a dramatic experience, it may have not been dramatic, but where he was in you. He will abide with you forever. He will be in you. What have you done with him? What have I done with him? Have I cultivated friendship with him? He's my sixth sense. He will be in you. Okay. And then I go on a little bit further. And apparently with him being in us, verse 23, end of verse 23, the Father and the Son will come and make our home and make our home. So the Holy Spirit is the medium through which the Father and the Son make their home in you. Our home in you. Abode. Have you got abode in your version? Mm. Anyway. Verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, this is the next one, he will be with you, he will be in you. Verse 26, he will teach 
will teach. He will teach you all things. He will bring to your remembrance. And I, no, I would almost like to say it like this. He will be with you forever. He will be in you. He will teach you all things. He will bring to your remembrance. Do you use books? You ask me, Bernard, do you use books? Yes. I read very, very widely. But who's my priority as I'm reading? What am I first doing as I'm reading? When I'm listening to someone speak, what is the first voice I'm listening to? Not the preacher. Not the writer of the book. I'm listening to him who is with me forever in me, who has been commissioned by the Father and the Son to be my teacher of all things. I say this to you all very clearly, you young parents, don't let the psychologists attempt to teach you how to raise your kids. He will teach you all things, which means also how to arrange your family life. All things is not just all things spiritual, so-called, but it's all things. He will teach you how to be in your workplace, how to be. You say, that's crazy. This is so vital, I tell you. One of the reasons for ignorance in the church is because people are being taught. They head off to the latest worship seminar and learn some bad habits. And it all started years ago. I went to a Bible college and lectured in a Bible college in Sydney called the Assemblies of Bible College. And I was horrified 25 years ago as a musician coming from a musical background to listen to musical manipulation being taught in the Bible college. I was disgusted. They were teaching the pastors and the musicians how to, and the songwriters how to structure the song and the chord structures to emotively move people. He will teach you the Holy Spirit and he won't teach you to manipulate people and play around with them musically. He won't teach you to, I tell you, this thing. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of a singer named Tony Bennett, one of the greats of the 20th century. And I was watching a show when he was being interviewed. And the interview, and it was one of those studio audiences, and the trio was in the background, the pianist and the bassist and the drummer. And uh, Tony's been interviewed and they say to him, Tony, what's, uh, 
What's one of the differences between you and a lot of the young singers nowadays? Tony doesn't sort of answer much. And he just uh, turns to his pianist and the pianist starts playing something and Tony starts to sing. And he just starts singing and he's an old man, he's 84 at the time, I think he was. And as he's singing, nobody kind of notices as he continues to sing. They're all unaware that he's singing away there and they're all hearing with great clarity These things enable you to manipulate people. If you haven't learned that, you know nothing about performance. You may not like to hear these things, but, and thank God this is being recorded, I think, isn't it? Amen, because I hope others will listen. Because a big American preacher came into this country 40 years ago and a number of times since, and the congregation of thousands in the big halls did not know that he had experts on the soundboard that were tuned to, to ride the gain at certain moments, to move the emotive moments. God, the Holy Spirit will teach you. He's not a manipulator, and I thank God for that. Lord help us he will teach you he will bring to your remembrance he will abide with you forever he will be in you he will teach you he will bring to your remembrance what I have said unto you hallelujah this is how the church is going to begin it's going to begin with men who are listening hearing hearing and receiving the teaching of the Holy Spirit. They know where it's coming from. And they're, they're receiving that which is remembrance. And then I go on, and I'm in chapter 15 now, and I'm just pulling these things out. And as I get into chapter 15, I find that Jesus says this. Verse 26, at the end of the chapter, he's going to refer to the Holy Spirit again directly. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father. Um, amen? Did you all get that? Whom I will send from the Father. Now go back to verse 26, verse 14, chapter 14. The Helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name. So 14.26 says the Father will send the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. And uh, end of chapter 15.26, I will send from the Father. So the Holy Spirit is sent by the Father in the Son's name. The Holy Spirit is sent by the Son. Amen. Is that what it says in chapter 15? Sent by the Son from the Father. Source and origin. Amen. That answered for me 
50 years ago, why, when the Holy Spirit comes, I don't have to get on the floor and bark like a dog. Because the Holy Spirit comes from the Father. And the source. He conveys sonship. He conveys belonging in the family. He conveys, uh, um, he comes from the Father. You, uh, am I making sense? Are you understanding that connection? He's not going to make me behave like an animal. Amen? He comes from the Father. He's going to make me be like a son. And the Father sends in Jesus' name. And it's wonderful. To me, the helper is, is the one who comes in the name of the Son from the Father, source. What kind of spirit is he? And do you notice what it says in 1526, what he will do? So you have had, first of all, he will abide with you forever. He will be in you. He will teach you all things. He will bring to your remembrance four things so far. Now we've got, he will testify about me. And you will testify. He will testify about me. He will testify. Hallelujah. Am I listening to him? Do you listen to Jesus' spirit in your heart? I'll tell you. Shall I tell you what it would be like? So you are conscious that you've just failed. You've just been a silly again. You've messed up. You've been unkind to someone. Maybe you've sinned and fallen foul of a temptation. What's the Spirit going to do if you're listening to, you, to him? No, he's not going to say, you dirty old man. You jerk. He's going to testify to you of Jesus. He will testify of me. <laughs> the Holy Spirit in the face. And this is how victory comes. I tell you this. The victory comes from listening to the Spirit's testimony. And he will testify to you of Jesus, of Jesus' beauty, of Jesus' love, of Jesus' constancy, of Jesus' glorious work at Calvary, of Jesus' merits. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, will testify to us in the church of Jesus, 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 and you will fall in love with him. And that will be the way you stop sinning. The Holy Spirit will testify of me. Yes, this is in the context of people hating you when you're in the warfare. 
And you're tempted. You, this is in the context. Read it. They will hate you. They will abuse you. You'll be tempted to get all cynical and hard and all the rest of it and to react in a carnal way. Oh, take heart. The Holy Spirit will testify of me. Ah. Is it remotely clear to, to me, to you? Oh, Jesus, this is what happens to me. I'm telling you what's been happening to me for years. Do you not think that I've messed up? Yes. Did I stay down? Yes. Did I stay low? Did I try and climb out? No. I tried to listen to the Spirit, and the Spirit said to me, wait, listen, look at my son, look at Jesus, he, look at what, and he testified to me of Jesus, and he strengthened me, and slowly, slowly, sanity comes, and balance of mind comes, Amen. Am I, is this coming clear to you? He, the Spirit testifies of Jesus. And oh, you fall in love with Jesus more than you ever have done. For his love, for his goodness, for his mercies and his kindnesses. And he testifies. And then you begin to testify with renewed vigor and understanding. That's what Jesus said, 1527, isn't it? And you will testify. You will testify. When he comes, you see, he will teach. You're hearing him? Is he come? Is he dwelling in you? Listen. <laughs> Hear him. Hear him. And your feet will become steady. And You know, I go into the 16th chapter, you see, and Jesus said, it's, it's to your advantage, verse 7, that I go away. Um, chapter 16, 7. For if I go not away, the helper will not come to you. But if I, if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, what's the next three words? He will convict. What a relief. He will convict of sin and righteousness and judgment. He will, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. He will do it. So, here, here we are. What a relief that you haven't tried to got to convince. One of the most overdeveloped things of our day and generation is the field of apologetics. You know, uh, apologetics. 
trying to prove the existence of God, you know, trying to sort of show that Richard Dawkins is an idiot and, you know, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Forget it. Get to know the Holy Spirit because he will, as you are attentive, he will convince the world, he will convince people you're meeting of sin and righteousness and judgment. He will, he will work with you. Amen. I believe it. He is amazing. He will convince. Convict. Because you understand that the word convict and convince are the same in the Greek. So he will convince as well as he will convict. <laughs> Amen. He will convince. And we need convincing of sin. I mean, the world needs convincing. and He will do it. You say, will he, will he do it through me? Yes, sometimes without you hardly realize it. You're not even acquainted. You're just because he, you know, you're listening to him. He's teaching you. He's bringing to your remembrance. You're glorifying Jesus because, you know, he's, he, he, the Holy Spirit's testifying to you of Jesus and you're glorying in the Son. And lo and behold, other people start to become convinced by the Holy Spirit and convicted. In your family, I think of a man and his wife. I don't know whether they've ever come to this church as visitors, but I always remember I used to play, play squash with the husband when I preached in that certain place when I visited, and he wasn't a Christian. And I used to play squash, and he, he was a brilliant player, and so I never won. And, uh, but I enjoyed playing with him where he'd sit and drink Cokes at the end and chat and have a shower and go home. And he never went near the church. He just wasn't interested. His wife was part of the church. And then I arrived one time, maybe three years later, to preach in that church. And uh, there he is sitting in the meeting. And not only sitting in the meeting, but praying and hands in the air. And I went to him. I said, what happened to you? He said it was my wife. In the end, I just had to give in. She never said a word. It's just her life. Holy Spirit convinced him. I had to give in. That's what he said to me. I had to give in. Just my wife. <laughs> and she was the mildest of ladies. Not a nag bag by any means. <laughs> Wonderful. He will convince. And then I go down a little bit further. This is the last one and you'll be relieved. Um, verse 12. I have many more things to say to you, which I would agree with. <laughs> but you cannot bear them now. I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. <laughs> you couldn't bear any more on me at the moment. But when he, verse 13, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you. He will guide you into all the truth. He will guide you into all the truth. For, I hope you're all noticing the uh, present continuous, he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. Oh, 
you know, I get the sense, these, these verses excite me. I have to tell you, I go back to these verses again and again and again. Hazel knows that. Though I've ne never preached it quite this way before, have I? And, but you know, it's so wonderful. I get this sense of um, the spontaneity of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit investigating. What, what are you saying now, Father? What's the next thing for Bernard? What are you wanting to show? The next thing to River Church. You know, and he's investigating and he's searching out what God's saying. And then he begins to disclose it to you who need to know it. All on a need to know basis. And when we need to know it, you know, this is what someone, can you get it? It's like Jesus said, you may have passed it over and not notice it. The spirit that proceeds from the Father. It's movement, it's spontaneity. You know, Jesus woke up in the morning. Oh, I've got to walk through Samaria. I wish there was another way. Deep, quiet time. Sees a woman at the well. Picks up the information uh, that she's had five husbands and the man she's living with is not her husband. Is that how it worked? Living in the preceding life that comes from the Father by the Spirit. And he's tired and he doesn't kick her against being tired. He just sits down. That's what you should do if you're tired, if possible. And he sat down. Oh man, and he's sitting there and a lady comes. Of course, he, he knows she's a lady. He doesn't think she's a whore because she's, he sees way beyond externalities he sees she's a loveless soul and he loves her and in the context of that love the Holy Spirit from the Father just discloses to him spontaneously that in her pursuits of love she'd tried five marriages and they'd all failed and that she was living with a man now and that wasn't really cutting it either and uh, you understand this is this is the real Jesus I think it's one of the things I enjoy about my wife. Of course, I, there are many things I enjoy about my wife, but this is one of them. I hear you, some of you ladies, arriving at the, at the session this morning. She's opening the door and she's letting you in, and I'm, I'm hearing her, because uh, I'm very well used to it, her total spontaneity. I say she's Irish. <laughs> but... Uh, it's the, I know God's like that. He's not saying, I told you so. I told you it would happen. You know, even if he knew it would happen, he's very tender. He says, come on. He's so spontaneous. And this is what Jesus was like. And that's what the woman, she touched this. She, she sensed this. Come and see a man. That's what she went back to the village and told the guys, wasn't it? She talked to all the men and she said, come and see a man. <laughs> How do they feel, by the way? <laughs> come and see a man, will you? <laughs> Are you a bunch of galoots, we'd say in the States. <laughs> come, come and see a man. Wonderful. He 
he will, he will show you. He will, how does he put it here? Whatever he hears, he will speak. He will speak. It makes life rather exciting, really, if you uh, become increasingly tuned. I thought that I would try and help my daughters, uh, sorry, my granddaughters, the ones that are in England, they're young, to begin to, uh, I thought we might be able to play together, my daughter on the guitar, my son-in-law on the guitar, me on the guitar, and I thought, let's get the granddaughters into ukuleles and we'll all kick off and have a little band. Just a little bit of fun. So I, I found a ukulele. And it's, the guy warned me, it was, on, it was on special. He warned me it's about the, not the bottom of the line, but near it. And you know, this ukulele, it won't stay in tune. Every time I pick it up, I have to retune it. So I've been learning some ukulele chords, and so I can sing somewhere over the rainbow with the uke and so on. <laughs> but it keeps going out of tune. So do we. That's our problem, not listening. You're not taking that time to... He's in you, isn't he? I know he's in me. He was always with me, but he came in me. What were the other ones? Can we remember them? He will teach. He bring to our remembrance. He will convince all these things he, he will do. He, 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 he. Hallelujah. And all the time it's he, he, he. <laughs> it's not you, you, you. He will not speak on his own initiative. What he, what he hears, he will say. And you're, you're brought into this fellowship of the Holy Spirit. What's, what's the New Testament blessing? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The love of God and the fellowship. Communion. He brings us into communion. Sorry. First he brings us into union. About this, we'll talk tomorrow briefly. But communion must deepen into communion. And true communication only comes out of communion. You want to communicate? The things that really matter, they come out of communion. Jesus was living in communion with his father because he was in union with his father. And so he communicated. Communicated. Thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for this helper. Thank you for this comforter. I'm sorry, Lord, that I've grieved your spirit by often simple forgetfulness. 
you know the Holy Spirit is the friend of silence? You know that the Holy Spirit is the friend of stillness? You know that he's the friend of tranquility? Amen. So in the midst of your workplace, you can be still. You can be listening to him in the heart. You can be cultivating communion. From him, <coughs> all things flow. Hmm. So with that, I don't know, I can't see a clock. Is there a clock in the room somewhere? No. But 